Hello, and welcome to Unscripted, conversations about sexual and domestic violence, a podcast featuring employees and subject matter experts from domestic and sexual violence services and partner organizations discussing all aspects of interpersonal violence, plus solutions and resources for support for residents of Fairfax County. I'm your host, Kendra Lee. On this edition of Unscripted, I'm talking with Jennifer Perkins, Supervisor of Domestic and Sexual Violence Services Anger and Domestic Abuse Prevention Treatment Program, also known as ADAPT, and Tanisha Cox, DSVS's Volunteer Manager, about what survivors should know about dating after an abusive relationship and what new partners should know about those survivors. Jen, Tanisha, thanks for being here on Unscripted. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Of course. For a survivor of interpersonal violence, wading back into the dating pool can be nerve-wracking and complicated. For instance, a survivor might have more trouble connecting emotionally with a potential new partner or have a hard time trusting people, or they might have ideas about what is healthy or unhealthy in a relationship they feel are warped by the person or people who caused them harm in the past, so they don't trust their ability to choose healthy or unhealthy people. Um, Conversely, a new partner should understand a few things about abuse and what that might, that means for a survivor's needs that they're now dating. So we're just going to jump right in. Jen, I'm going to ask you this first. What, is this, what does a survivor need to keep in mind when they're re-entering the dating world? Okay. Um, good question. So I think they need to keep in mind that they've just been through a lot. There's a lot of trauma when you have been in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. If you've been in multiple abusive relationships, there is complex trauma. If you had any of it in your home growing up, uh, which a lot of survivors do, right? So a lot of times there is more than the one um, abusive relationship that they've experienced in their life. So they're coming out of these relationships with a lot of trauma that has to be healed or could be healed. Um, there's also grief and loss. And even though sometimes it's a, a good idea to leave in an abusive relationship, uh, oftentimes it's always a good idea, right? We don't want anyone being in a relationship that's unsafe. It's still a loss of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets even more complicated the longer the relationship, if they have children together, if they spent a significant amount of time with this person. So there needs to be a lot of self-compassion and grace and just, just know you, you've been through a lot. You're grieving. There's loss. Um, even if it's a, it's a good loss or a healthy loss, it's still a loss. Um, and then there's a lot of trauma and healing that is needed. And, um, so I would say that if you are somebody who is coming out of a relationship in which there was abuse, just know that, you know, you, you're going through a lot right now. Um, and it's going to take some time, um, to, to heal from the grief, the loss and all the trauma that you've experienced. Okay. So I've, on, on, or on other episodes of this podcast, I have talked about that I am a survivor. And in subsequent relationships, I told the new people that I was a survivor, that I had been abused. And it affected some of them, the new partners, in strange ways. Some of them were frightened away. And some of them thought 
or I felt they thought, well, as long as I don't hit her, then I'm golden because she's let somebody hit her. But in any case, it, it seemed like it terrified all of them. Did I tell them too soon? Is that such a thing? Is there a time when you should tell somebody? Um, I think we determine our own sense of safety, right? And we're also like the gatekeepers of our own info. So who we tell and when we tell is, you know, up to the individual. And, you know, I think, you know, for the reason that you described, Kendra, I think, you know, some people uh, omit because of fear that they'll, you know, um, have a similar response from the person that they shared that with. And, you know, on the flip side, the partner might feel like, you know, the, the omission of that story is like a lie, if you will. Uh, but, you know, like the reality is that we should be comfortable in the freedom to share our stories. And, you know, um, some of our stories also include other people, right? So having, you know, uh, uh, the thought process of, um, the reasons behind why we wouldn't, why we would and we wouldn't share the story because that also is someone else's, uh, story. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think you were wrong, you know, in sharing that. I, you know, but I also understand on the, I understand how, how hurtful and harmful and, you know, that, that would have, uh, must have felt for you. I also understand how scary that can be you know, for someone else to feel like they have a sense of responsibility to the person who's experienced um, trauma such as violence um, and how scary. Um, and that they don't have the, they've never encountered that before and they don't necessarily have the tools and they not always respond to that in the best way. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, sorry, I just want to chime in here. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, they could have had their own bad experiences right and it could Mm -hmm. be something that they've experienced to the point where they're like oh you know um something about that experience that you have shared um triggers them or that's a good point yeah especially you know i don't you know y'all can't see me but i'm in my mid-40s so me dating at this age, I'm dating people. Typically, when you date people in um, a certain age group, they have a past and other relationships they've been in. You know, um, maybe young adults don't have to contend to with this as much as us older adults. But when I go, if I'm dating, I'm dating people who've been married and are divorced at my age for the most part. <laughs> so there's history there. They have relationship histories. They have their own uh, childhood histories. And as you mentioned, Kendra, abuse is not just physical. Mm -hmm. Um, It's emotional, psychological, it's verbal. Um, It could be sexual, it could be financial. There's all all different types of abusive behaviors that fall under the umbrella of domestic violence. And chances are that some of these folks have experienced some degree of hurtful behavior in their past relationships too. So they might be a little bit more cautious. Also, um, and I agree with Tanisha in that you share when it works for you and when you feel safe to share and how somebody reacts has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them and where they're at. And they just might not be your person. So if this discussion, this disclosure, if it doesn't go well, if the person responds in a negative way, is that saying that this relationship can't work and I should back away? Or is it saying 
give this person some grace because they may not know how to respond. It really depends. It depends how long have you been dating this person? How um, how much do you want this to work out? Um, is this someone that you just met and maybe you're less invested and less attached? Or is it someone you've been dating with for a few months and you've really become attached to them and care about them and, you know, want to, you know, see this relationship progress? Um, obviously, if it's to that point, then you might want to, um, you know, have some communication about it. Be curious. Um, I noticed you had this reaction when I shared this experience with you. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So give me some examples of, of how this conversation should go. If I'm disclosing to you, we're dating, we've been dating for, I don't know, five months, and I think I should tell you about this incident or incidents in my past. And what what, what should I say to you? How should I approach this conversation? I guess I, I, I want to make sure I, I respond to the question appropriately. So can you ask it again, Kendra? We've been dating five months. I have this abuse in my past. I want to disclose to you that, that this is part of my past. What should that conversation look like? How should I say it to you? How should I broach this conversation with you? Yeah. So, uh, I would like, you know, for me, there are three questions that I typically ask someone I'm trying to get to know. And, and that often uh, is a natural segue to if I choose to share, um, you know, any personal information. So I ask them. And especially as it relates to their uh, um, responses or experience to uh, anger. So I'll say, you know, like, what sort of things bring you joy? What sort of things give you peace? And what makes you angry? And when you're angry, how do you typically respond? And I, men have been thrown off by the question, but they've also appreciated it. And based on that response, you know, it has provided some rich conversation. So I've had you know, a response where uh, a guy was like, oh, you don't want to see me get angry. Ooh. Oh, really? I take it that was the last date, Janine. There wasn't no. a date after that, was there? I hope not. It, it actually continued. And, you know, I was like, in fact, I do want to see you. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's a normal response that we all feel. Uh, and it's welcomed in this space. How you respond is, you know, so it did open the door for us to have some conversations about it. And he was honest that he, you know, when he was angry, he would typically respond in abusive ways, uh, yelling and cursing, you know, throwing things. And we unpacked that a little bit. And then I, at that point, I then said, okay, well, here's the history that I have and behaviors like that are triggering for me, you know, like, and so then I, from then I felt safe to continue to disclose and we had some really good conversation. It was a lesson for both of us, I think, you know, and that. So, and then we did continue to date very shortly. It ended, but still. <laughs> and Jen, you said you didn't want to an answer because you've done a lot of talking, but that's what this is about. Let's talk. So okay. what should this conversation look like? If I'm disclosing to someone new, what should I say? You say what feels right to you. I feel like we're so you know, careful sometimes with, um, you know, worrying about other people's reaction, that we're not necessarily true to ourselves, and we're not who we are, and we're not vulnerable because we don't want to make someone else uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes we need to reframe that and say, okay, well, my comfort's important too. 
and how I feel and who I am. And this is part of my history um, is important too. And that I need to communicate this in a way where I'm not worried more about your discomfort than my own safety um, in this relationship. And I think like Tanisha shared, like you, you share when you feel safe to do so. Clearly the example she gave, he felt safe with her sharing, you know, that sometimes when I get angry, I lose control of myself or I do things that I don't feel good about. You have to be, feel safe with someone to be that vulnerable. And so, um, what is, you know, do you feel safe sharing that? And if you do, that's important. If you don't, then don't, but do you feel safe sharing that? Um, that's, that's really important too, um, in order to do that. And a lot of times these things come out organically. Um, again, you know, when you're dating in a certain age group, I mean, our past relationships are such a big part of our story and our life. And, you know, um, they come up usually pretty, I mean, five months would be, I'd be like, huh, you haven't mentioned anything about, you know, the <laughs> other parents of your children, you know, like, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, I think, but the safety part is important. And then, and then you share with what you're comfortable sharing. And that's going to be different for everybody. Right. And just, I, for me, I just, I think it's so hard to feel a sense of connection to anyone where vulnerability is absent, you know, on both sides. And, you know, regardless of what we're talking about in this, in this case, you know, uh, history uh, of, of, of trauma, um, whether we choose to admit it or not, is going to show itself the more time we spend with each other, right? So I think in order to build connection, there has to be some level of vulnerability, whether we, you, you would hope that it is something, as Jen said, that forms organically and it doesn't have to be forced, um, but no, definitely shouldn't be absent of the connection in the way. Okay. And Jen, earlier you mentioned um, that someone who is who has abuse in their past may have had many relationships that were abusive or harmful. So a new partner, what do they need to know or understand about this an unhealthy pattern of abuse that that you know what do they need to know about this cycle when they're mm-hmm. getting into a relationship with someone who has this in their past? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say that um, you need, and this is for any relationship, by the way, any relationship, right? Um, we need to give one another, again, that safety where you could be vulnerable and know that it might take longer with somebody who has experienced a lot of relationship trauma, that that might, that, that could impact that process, but it's different for everybody. So, mm-hmm. How I am in my, you know, how one person is in their relationships based on their past experience in previous relationships is going to be different for somebody else. And healing takes, you know, is different for everybody. Um, so this is not a something where we can make blanket statements about, but I say in all, all of our relationships, we should create that emotional safety for that person to share, to be mm-hmm. who they are. Um, to really understand each other. Um, Tanisha mentioned 
talking about triggers with that, that, that man she went on a few dates with, right? Being able to share like, you know, in my past relationships, these were some like sore points for me. Um, and as someone hearing that on the receiving end, the hope is that, you know, that there's a, a caring that, you know, I, I, knowing that with this information that I have about this person that I care so much about, that I'm going to be more mindful and intentional when conflict does arise. You know, um, mm-hmm. I've been in a relationship with somebody who a sore, sore point for them was in their past relationship, receiving the silent treatment. And mm-hmm. they shared that with me. And, you know, as humans happened, uh, we do get, you know, we're not happy with each other every second of every day. Right. And so I mm-hmm. know that when I'm having those moments that, you know, if I present myself as giving the silent treatment, that it's going to be extra painful for that person. So mm-hmm. as a caring partner, I'm not going to do that because that person has shared that with me. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, just a lot of compassion, a lot of good communication, but there has to be the space for that communication to be had. Um, and if there's not, then you're just not going to know and these things are going to come up. And I'll also add that sometimes people react in relationships in ways that you might be like, wow, that really bothered them. That's weird. That shouldn't bother them, right? Like, why are mm-hmm. they so upset about that? A lot of times those reactions and behaviors don't necessarily have to do with us, but them and some of their past experiences as well. So, um, and same for us too. Um, so just having a little bit of, um, if you know, especially if someone's shared with you that they've had those past abusive experiences, that took a lot for them to share that. That is extremely brave. That's hard to talk about. That's extremely vulnerable. And so, um, really, you know, being more, you know, being compassionate, being, um, creating that safety in your relationship. That's really important. Okay. So I understand if somebody's yelling or controlling or like you just mentioned, Jen, if they're giving you the silent treatment, those might be triggers. But are there instances where something positive or that seems to be positive could also be a trigger? And why might that be so? I mean, something is, you know, the gesture of, her, of uh, what will be perceived as a gentle touch, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that can be a trigger to someone else. And uh, I think it's just based on the individual, really, and what their past experiences um, it was. That's the only response that I have to that. I, you know, I like hugs, but, you know, sometimes, you know, that might be triggering to someone else. Yeah. And sometimes I also, I've spoke to people who are like, they get emotional because they're like, wow, no one treated me this kind before. Like, I'm not used to not having to walk on eggshells. And so they don't trust. They don't trust. Yeah. So you're being kind to me. Nobody's really been kind to me or treated me well. So I sus, you're sus, I'm suspected. Kind of waiting for the shoe to drop, you know, like this feels good, almost too good. This shouldn't be happening. Uh, yeah, you're right. That's a good way to frame it too. It's like, wow, you're not mad at me for that. Like my previous partner would have been so angry about that and would have done X, Y, and Z. Like this feels different. And I know this is a rhetorical question or maybe not rhetorical, but maybe not even a real question. But 
trust takes time. How long should a new person expect to have to wait for a survivor to learn to trust them? It takes as long as it takes. I mean, the three of us could each get a cut and my cut could heal faster than your cut could feel heal faster than her cut, right? Mm -hmm. It takes as long as it takes. And every time that you're not quite there, that healing hasn't fully occurred and there's a setback, like get over it. You know, aren't you over this yet? Things are changed. It's like ripping a bandaid off of a scab. And then you're, you, you know, all of a sudden you made five steps forward and then you're two steps backwards. Okay. But so let's, let's, let's talk about this a little bit more. Yes. They shouldn't say get over it, but they do. They don't mm-hmm. mean to harm you. They're not a bad person. They're not going to try to abuse you. They just don't know any better. What do we tell those people? Like, besides don't say get over it and 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 not by felicia like jen said <laughs> what's wrong with that come on <laughs> jen to say insert by felicia you know i think <laughs> i think with any uh like healthy relationships in general you know consist of people being kind and thoughtful in communication you know regardless of what the the history is of that person like Healthy relationships include this this careful thought to should be at least how is this person going to interpret what I say? And we don't always get it right, right? You know, mm-hmm. sometimes we intentionally say things that are hurtful to someone else. But you know, if, if our if our primary intent is okay, this is hard for me. I don't really know how to respond to this, but I still want to make sure that I respond in a kind and thoughtful way. Um, so I think um, keeping that at center is probably um, the best thing. And I think that will guide the response either way. Can you just say that? What you just said. This is hard for me. I don't really know how to respond. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. That goes back to the vulnerability piece. Like I'm not familiar with, you know, I haven't dated anyone that has experienced what you have in the past. And, you know, I noticed Jen brought this up earlier with another question. Like I noticed when I do this, you respond this way. Let's talk about that. Well, how can I respond in a different way that may, you know, cause for you to respond differently? Uh, because I don't, I just, I don't know. And I want to make sure that I don't continue to hurt you. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the, the most easiest way you can say it. Like, I'm, I'm not familiar with this and I don't know what to say. Yeah. We could also educate ourselves, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you're dating somebody who's in recovery from addiction, then educate yourself on addiction, you know, like, these are things you can educate yourself on. So if you're dating someone who has been through a lot of trauma, whatever that trauma is, educate yourself. I mean, it's really easy now with the um, the World Wide Web <laughs> to do that. But there's also, I mean, therapy could be a great resource. Um, working with a, a trauma-informed therapist. And by the way, I haven't mentioned that. But if you're somebody who's coming out of a in an abusive relationship, therapy, get yourself a good therapist. Because, I mean, like Oprah, what is it? Oprah says, like, smart people do therapy. I'm, I'm a therapist. Obviously, I'm a big <laughs> advocate of 
of therapy, right? And Mm -hmm. there's no shame in therapy. Um, and it is a great tool, a great resource and support for a lot of people to have a space to process what they've been through. Um, but if you're someone dating someone who's been through something like this, you, you can get supports yourself. You can find resources. You can read up on trauma. Um, the, what is the, the most famous book? The body keeps the score, right? There's mm-hmm. books, there's articles, there's Google galore. You know, there's lots of places where you could get information on, um, how trauma impacts us and, and domestic violence. There's lots of resources on domestic violence out there. Um, so educate yourself. I could call the t- domestic and sexual violence 24 hour hotline. You sure can. Couldn't I? If I'm dating someone who is a survivor and mm-hmm. I have questions and I want education, I could start there, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You want As one of us to share is, the number? Yes. <laughs> 703-360-7273. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, educate yourself. There's lots of resources out there on all things domestic violence, healthy relationships, trauma. Um, and that, that would be really helpful. And think of the message you're sending that person by taking that step. Like that is such a beautiful gesture to do. Like if I'm struggling with something and the person I'm dating is trying to educate themselves to better support me. Gosh, that's like a big part of my love language. That just makes me feel like so amazing inside. What a beautiful gesture that is. So it's a sign that it's okay for me to disclose to this person. That's one of the signs that they're willing to go that step. Yes. And listen to your body too, how you feel when sharing around this person. And that's something a lot of survivors, I think, struggle with. There's a lack of trust with my body, right? When you've been uh, in an abusive relationship, we tend to disassociate a lot from our bodies and lose that connection and start to really pay attention. How does my body feel in the presence of this person? Mm -hmm. Um, and listen to that and, and, and try to rebuild your trust with, you, with your body. Because our, I mean, when we are in touch, our body sometimes is aware of things before we're consciously aware of, of things. So how do I feel in the presence of this person? Do I feel like I have to walk on eggshell or do I feel like I can breathe that I could be myself and that's okay in that space? Um, and trust that your body is going to let you know when you're able to safely disclose to somebody. But how do you trust your body if you have a pattern, a history mm-hmm. of relationships that have been harmful? How do you trust that your body is telling you, this one's safe, this one doesn't yes. mean to harm me? How do you trust your body? I and was going to ask hard. that too. Like, how do you know it's not, you know, mm-hmm. the traumatic experience that your body is responding to versus the person? Like, you know, I don't, yeah, I think one will struggle, you know, with, I think it's good advice, you know, there's not, not saying that it's not, but I could see like to Kendra's question, like, how do you trust your body to know that this person is indeed safe? Uh, is my body telling me the truth in this moment? Uh, am I responding 
to my past experience, you know, because of what this person seems to represent and not necessarily the person themselves? Right. That's a good question because um, a lot of times when we've had um, lots of, especially when we've had multiple abusive relationships and come from homes where there was an abuse, there's this combination, right, of hurt and love together and abuse and love together. Mm-hmm. And, and some people have never experienced love without the abuse. So again, I'll do another plug for therapy. Um, therapy can be particularly helpful with that. And there's lots of trauma informed therapies. Particularly want to do a shout out to EMDR therapy. Um, that is a great, um, short term therapy that is really good for improving that connection. Um, but that's again why it's so important to do some sort of therapy, um, especially one that is focused on healing trauma when you have left an abusive relationship because those signals, um, aren't always aligned and you don't trust your body and you've, um, had, you know, a disconnect there for survival purposes, probably for a very long time. And so to rebuild that connection and to make new connections, therapy is the way to go. So my takeaways, my takeaways, sorry, Tanisha, go ahead, say what you were going to say. I was just going to say, I think it's also important to keep in mind that recovery is not a linear path, right? Mm -hmm. And it looks different for all of us and, you know, keeping an open mind that the things we explore that could potentially help us along our journey that we can choose to do, you know, uh, one thing this time and decide on another path of support another time and revisit the previous path that we explored the first time. It's just not a linear path. And I think sometimes people want to rush through the process, right? Because like we're thinking ourselves, the folks that have experienced the trauma, like, why am I still having a hard time with this? I want to hurry up and get over with this and move on with my life too. And it's just, it's just not a, a linear path. So honoring the cycle, I think is important too. So my takeaways, therapy for both people, the mm-hmm. person who experienced the trauma and the new person, the new relationship person, trust and healing take time. They take as long as they're going to take. And if the person responds badly, bye, Felicia. That's your advice, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, again, depending on the attachment. And just real quick, I know we're almost out of time. But it could be very tricky, too, in those few few months because of, do do we all know the term love bombing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We We didn't get to that. But love bombing can throw this whole thing off. And so, and I think that's why it's important to um, especially the person coming out of the abusive relationship to have therapy because it's easy to, um, fall into that, um, you know, that honeymoon phase really quick with somebody new who seems so different and that's so attractive and so luring. Um, and that's oftentimes, you know, a lot of, if we reflect back on a lot of abusive relationships, that's how it was in the beginning, right? Um, in the beginning, it felt so, so good. Um, and so usually these relationships don't start off with pain and hurt. Um, but they start off usually with a very intense love stage phase, the honeymoon phase, whatever you want to call it. Right. <laughs> and you're like almost intoxicated. It's almost like a drug. And so I think that it's really important to, um, to, um, 
you know, to get, engage in some sort of healing process journey before you start dating again, ideally, because again, sometimes those first few months that we're really focused on in this conversation can be blinding because they, it feels amazing, right? Okay. So give me a definition of love bombing and why is it bad? <laughs> can I Google real quick now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, bomb sounds bad, but love doesn't. So what is love bombing? Okay. (laughs) Feel feel free to chime in, Tanisha. So love bombing, it's like this intense, Intense. very fast, like um, love, almost like an infatuation that occurs kind of from the get-go. Um, it's like love, it's like on, love on steroids. Steroids. That was perfect. I'm sure, again, Google love bombing is not going to say that. <laughs> it's love on steroids. It's love on it's steroids. Like, so love on I met steroids. you last week and you're already professing and dying love for me and right. wanting to meet your family and, and can't live without me. That's love bombing. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. Yes. Okay. And there's a, there's a controlling aspect of it. Like, I'm all you need kind of aspect of it that kind of sneaks in kind of early on. Um, and it's again, like the, the best, um, example or analogy I can think of is almost like a drug where I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you all this pleasure and you're gonna become dependent on me for that. But I think the idea, right? Like the, the hormones that are released through that is like, almost being high right so oh, yeah I think that, that is that's the idea yeah so and because it. you've been in this cycle of abuse in the past you may not realize that that's a bad thing mm-hmm. oh it's great you're giving me all this attention and you're just like so into me and it feels so good but that goes back to therapy i've been in an abusive relationship and I'm getting the therapy that I need before hopping into a new relationship. Mm-hmm. I will recognize that there's some power and control aspect of love bombing. I think you should. I think one should recognize that that's the case. If they're doing the critical work and, you know, learning those tools to, to see it, I think one would see that it's an aspect of love bombing. Yeah. And according to Google, because you know I did that. <laughs> I was wondering, like, what is she doing? She's going to Dr. Google. Dr. Google. They give you needless gifts. They're in a rush to lock things down. Like that's again, that kind of control, um, part of it. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to, there's a lot in here, but, um, there's love given with, with an expectation. Um, there's an agenda. It's love with an agenda. Let's just. Yeah. It's love on steroids with an agenda. It's love on steroids with an agenda. That's our new definition of love bombing. Okay. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this edition of Unscripted Conversations about Sexual and Domestic Violence. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Jen and Tanisha for joining us. If you or someone you know has experienced interpersonal violence, call the Domestic and Sexual Violence 24-Hour Hotline at 703-360-7273. That's 703-360-7273 or visit fairfaxcounty.gov and search for domestic and sexual violence. 
To listen to other county podcasts, visit fairfaxcounty.gov podcasts. Unscripted Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia Government.